My name's Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. The show dedicated to exploring all the ways that the over 40 crowd, the midlifers, can thrive at work and life in this fast and ever-changing world of ours. This show is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a digital newsletter that delivers curated resources and information to help Gen Xers and late boomers work well and live well in our midlife. Head on over to thebriefingnotes.com to subscribe for free and get the next edition this Sunday. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. So all season long, we have been exploring the theme of reimagining ourselves with the help of online friends who have kindly come on the show and shared their experiences. We heard from Tara McMullen, who wanted to make changes in the way that she led her businesses. And the way that she did this was by embracing a new fitness habit, which not only radically changed how she looked, but also who she was. And she will tell you, or she told us, in fact, that she's a very different person now than she was before she started, uh, you know, four years ago, roughly. Um, Yvonne Marchese found the common thread across the many different things that she's done in her life professionally. And when she found the common threads, she leaned into her core as a storyteller, as she calls it, and became a podcaster in 2020. And in the last episode, Bridget Lyons joined me and shared that she did finally was able to do the thing that she has always wanted to do. And though initially sidelined by the pandemic, she and her husband ditched their permanent home for a life on the road in 2020 in a 21-foot fiberglass travel trailer. I think those are all fantastic stories, inspiring stories of how we can reimagine ourselves in different ways. But I think one of the hardest paths of reimagining ourselves is working on ourselves, the mindset work, the hard task of changing our internal stories, the narratives that often run in the background subconsciously uh, that stop us from doing the things that we want to do. Changing those narratives, that is real work, especially as we often developed these stories over time. Some have been with us since our formative years. They are part of our internal operating system. And to change them is like changing from a PC to the Mac. And if you've ever made that switch, you know, it's like working in two different worlds. And so I know how difficult this work is, but it's also very rewarding and can impact all facets of our lives. And so I'm so grateful for my guest today, Mara Glatzel, who graciously shared her experience of personal change and development with me. Mara is an intuitive coach who helps perfectionists and people pleasers reclaim their sovereignty. Her superpower is saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And she helps you believe in yourself as much as she believes in you. 
But the ability to do this for others did not mean that Mara had this mastered for herself. She has always been able to read a room well and sense what's needed, which is a great skill in a professional capacity. But this also meant that in a personal sense, she was always contorting herself, trying to please. Something that she has done for most of her life. I have this lifelong, you know, a lot of it is rooted in trauma that I experienced in interpersonal relationships over the course of the first couple decades of my life. Um, but this, this self-protection and um, making myself small, making myself pleasing, because I, I, I have um, these gifts of being able to read a room really well and being able to um, kind of energetically become what I can sense is needed, which is like brilliant in a professional capacity with the work that I do. But in, in a personal sense, it was, I was always shape-shifting. I was always contorting. And, you know, of course there, there had to be a lot of healing there around being seen as I am and, um, and not being liked. I mean, there are just so many years of my life that I can see, you know, that I, I played it much smaller than I wanted to because I wanted to be kind of universally appealing, universally um, liked, and really in an attempt to keep myself safe. So a lot of my work now is rooted in how we take care of our needs and how we get our needs met. And I can see that I have this real need for safety and that keeping myself small is so associated with that belief that I could, if I just manage everything perfectly, if I just, you know, present a certain side of myself to the world, um, if what, like every single person on the planet likes me, that I'm safe. It, it became, it became such a cage. And so what that, that journey of transformation was like for me was, okay, well, you know, as I'm sh kind of like shrugging this, this uh, constrictive identity off and allowing myself to be myself out loud, you know, a couple things are going to happen. Uh, some people are not going to like you. Um, you know, some people are going to, you know, the more that I'm able to say, this is my work, this is who I'm for, you know, also I'm saying, and it's not for these people, or, mm. you know, there are people who are able to, to self-identify with the work or not. Mm. Um, and really within my relationship with myself, doing so much holding around, um, really reminding myself that my worth is not associated with external approval and, I really see it's like holding, holding myself so that I was able to work through sometimes the profound discomfort of what it meant to be myself because I'm really loud. I'm really passionate. I'm like a lot of a person. When I let myself be myself out loud, just like for all of us, like I say the wrong thing. Um, I make like the quote unquote wrong choices out loud. Everyone's noticing and also that's that's what living is, right? Breaking free from that perfectionism and really fully embodying yourself, your personality, um, allowing other people to know you. Because before it was, you know, I may I would have been surrounded by people, but I felt so lonely um, because I wasn't letting them really know me. You know, I was letting them know the version of me that I knew that they wanted to know, which was so exhausting. <laughs> 
when you said you were um, deliberately being small or not showing up as who you really are in an effort to be liked, right? Or not offend, which I think a lot of people will relate to. Certainly I do. Um, were you conscious every time you did that? Or was did it become like a subconscious thing, you know, a default thing? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, it started in my probably very early childhood. And mm-hmm as all coping mechanisms are, just became this way of being in the world. And then, you know, as I started to really, you know, dig deeper into like, I want to be known. I want to, you know, I I want that intimacy of, of real friendships mm. and letting people really be in relationship with me. And I started to do that healing work around, okay, well, you know, first I have to face the fact that there's a lot of ways and a lot of learned behaviors that um, are really comfy and cozy. Yes. And also, you know, not aligned with that desire to be seen and to be known. And beyond that, like, just to be, just to, you know, it started to be that I had things that I really wanted to spend my energy on. And I didn't have the energy to be perfecting myself all of the time and, you know, contorting myself all of the time. And as I became aware of that, I, you know, kind of in tandem became aware of all of the different ways that that theme was showing up in my life. And, you know, transformation doesn't just happen. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of open up new doors to it as we're ready. I was having a conversation with my spouse last night um, around like this area of my life where I am realizing that this is showing up again in like a very subtle way where, um, you know, it's really risky to go out. And for this example, I wrote a book this year and I'm in the middle of uh, working on a book proposal to get it published. And You know, again, I in this book proposal process, I'm confronted with this. I know what the right and best thing is to say. I always know, right? Because that's our conditioning. We know what the right and best thing is to say. We know what's expected of us. And it's far riskier. And also the reward is far greater when we go out and we say, you know, this may not be for you, but this is the book that I'm writing. This is the book that I want to write. And this is how I want to talk about it. And this is, you know, really standing in that authority as that leader of our own life to say like, hey, this is this is what it is. And your approval or validation of this or not doesn't impact or take away from me, um, you know, something that nothing, you know, my inherent worth that, that can't be taken away. Playing small can show up in our lives in a variety of ways. Some serious, some funny. Sometimes it's a mere drop in the ocean and sometimes it's the wave that takes over everything. I grew up in an environment where calling our attention to ourselves was frowned upon. To this day, I can trace some of my habits and choices back to that upbringing. In simple things like the color of my clothes, for example, I tend to choose muted grays and blacks. I couldn't imagine walking into a room wearing bright red or anything that might call attention to myself. 
Now, something like the color palette of our outfits may not be serious. Who cares, right? But playing small can have more significant consequences. Part of the playing small was like the perfecting. So like the constant perfecting. So, you know, there's a thing that I want to do and sometime I'll be ready somehow, you know, and there, we do this in so many different ways. It's like when I lose weight, when Mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever, when I figure it out, when I do this, when I do that. Um, And so I think that playing it small really manifested in that way of a whole life that I wanted to live that I was just holding my breath um, and, and like toiling away, trying to improve myself to get to this place where I was allowed based on whom, you know, society, um, to do the things that I wanted to do. So there was a lot of, um, pain in there too, around like they're, you know, constantly trying to better myself so that I could somehow get the opportunity to do what I wanted to do, like even rest or, um, or, or, you know, that, that example about wearing what you want to wear. Um, in this last year, I, created a capsule wardrobe for myself of clothes that I really love in colors that I really love. And I really, you know, I invested in it. And even that it's like (laughs) dressing yourself in who you actually are every day. Uh, I have a four-year-old who is extremely vibrant, like to the nth degree. She like loves attention. She's very sparkly. She's really like loud. And in, in watching her grow up, I really am am transported back a lot to my childhood. And something that I realized too, over the last year, just in the space of not, not being small anymore, um, is, you know, I had, I had created this kind of like persona for myself where I was an introvert. I was like, oh, this makes sense. You know, I'm an introvert in all of these things. And it was maybe about a year and a half ago, I was like, am I am I an introvert? No, I am not. So it's like, even that kind of thing, like we kind of craft these personas about ourselves, these understandings to fit in with that, keeping ourselves small, because it's, you know, I had a lot of hurt and a lot of trauma around what it is like to be, I call it as being a sparkle pony. Um, you know, it's like to be this like bright and vivacious version of yourself because it's really polarizing. I will say I love her to death. She's a lot. She's a lot. She talks all day long. She needs <laughs> a lot of attention. You know, she's just like exuberantly delighted by everything, but also like very disappointed by things. And in her, I've been really reacquainted with this version of myself that is an extrovert and likes to be around people and likes to, um, you know, it's like I, I had told myself like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with praise. I'm uncomfortable with being complimented. Um, not true, actually. I mean, is that true for any of us? I'm not really sure, like really true. Uh, so just beginning to undo a lot of those pillars of my personality that I had put in place to support that that staying small it it uh it's an interesting sort of exercise to ask yourself do I really am I really do I really not like that do I like oh my goodness yeah well and to update things because you know maybe it was true at one point in my life but it's not true now 
So, you know, to, to kind of like take those ways of seeing ourselves auto, off of autopilot and start to just really like, is that still true for me? I don't know if it was just a, a point in time or if it was a, a gradual feeling of I need to do something about this. I need to learn to embrace who I am and, you know, that kind of stuff. Was it was it a like a particular point in time or is it a gradual realization that this was something that a work that you're going to have to do or you want to do? I would say it kind of proceeded gradually for a period of time until it became really urgent feeling for me. And I think this happens with awareness. We're kind of like figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring it out. And then when we start to be aware of um, how we might be living in ways that aren't aligned with how we want to live, then all of a sudden it's like everything is extremely uncomfortable and we have to like take action immediately. Uh, So I would say it built up like that until, you know, this year has been profoundly transformative for me. Obviously, like it's been this pandemic. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old who are here at my house. I don't know. It's, it's really caused me to show up in ways that I hadn't before too, because in thinking about the pandemic and the virus and what it did to me was to think about the impact that I want to leave. And I was like, in March, I'm like, I can't die without having written this book. And then it kind of like took took forth from there. It was like, okay, well now I'm writing this book and I like I have I have to put myself out there. I've been like writing this book for a long time. And if I'm totally honest, the reason that it never got done was because you know, you can write all day on Instagram or for my my programs or emails, but like putting, you know, 70,000 words all together and saying, this is what I believe really forced me to dig deep around like, I, I have, I wish I didn't have the desire to do this, but I do. And it really has forced me in further from that, like getting an agent writing a book proposal, you know, sending a book proposal out and not getting great feedback, having to like take it back to the the drawing board. All of this has caused me to really bolster my self-belief in a way that I had just not had to do before. You know, before it was like, my business works. I make enough money to pay my mortgage. Things are fine. Um, but you know, to move to this next level meant that I really had to put myself out there in a way that I hadn't done before. And that, that caused like a whole cascade of internal transformations to bring me to being able to do that. Um, and Tanya was, was like smack dab in the middle there. And I worked with her in the impeccable impact program. Um, Okay, so the Tanya that Mara just referred to is Tanya Geisler, who was my guest last year in episode 128. Tanya is a leadership coach whose body of work is all about helping us recognize the patterns of thoughts that stop us from taking action. She is well known for her body of work on imposter syndrome. So I'm going to put a link to her website on the show notes so you can check her out. Back to Mara. Um, and Tanya was, was like smack dab in the middle there. And I worked with her in the impeccable impact program, um, over the course of this last six months. And, uh, 
you know, getting support too. Cause that, I think that's a part of it. I was like, wow, okay. I'm like showing up in some really big ways. And part of that trauma for me is no one's going to be there. Nobody's going to support me. And I was like, well, what support can I put in this place where I know that I'm trying to do this thing um, so that I can have like some love poured in there and some belief poured in there. And Tanya says this great thing a lot, which is around borrowing in her belief for you. And I think that that's so essential when you're struggling to have that belief yourself. And, you know, it's like having somebody who their belief in you is strong enough that you can borrow from it while you're learning how to cultivate your own self-belief. I think that when you open up like that, so in that case, you opened up to Tanya, you opened up to the group, it's part of part of stepping out because I know when, when I am trying to hide or be small, I don't even share. So there's not even a there's not even an opportunity for anyone to believe in me or to support me because I'm not even sharing. So the the fact that you were sharing what you're wanting to do, I think, is is a step or one of the first steps in in stepping out in taking yeah. space. Do you think? Yeah. Well, and it's hard. Just like everything, it takes so much practice. And I was part of a couple of different groups over the course of this last year, and one of them was Tanya's group. And it's like every time I don't know, you ask for help or um, you celebrate a win. Um, oh, it's like <laughs> the first handful of times I would go and be like, they all hate me. This is horrible. Like, how could I even, you know, I had a lot of really big wins this year and I have not talked about them very much at all because of like finding my way into that, you know, how much do you share, um, you know, not taking responsibility for how other people, um, like what they do with that information, right? Um, because, in, you know, in, in the past of my lived experience, it was really dangerous to say like, hey, I did this thing that was really awesome and I feel really proud of myself. Um, you know, like that's the time where it's like that tall poppy or tall sunflower syndrome where it's like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's when the bad things happen. Uh so, you know, it was so much practice to be like, okay, this is okay. Whatever they think about you is really their business, quite frankly. And, you know, it's fine. And also really investigating, you know, we don't know what other people think about us, but we are putting our judgments of ourselves into their heads all of the time. And really having a practice of being intentional, like, what am I thinking that they're thinking about me? And why am I thinking that about myself? And 99% of the time, it was really this last ditch effort to keep me safe. It's like, don't do that. Um, that's very dangerous to do. And and then in that space, being able to remind myself like, yeah, we're really out there on a ledge. But, you know, <laughs> I, I can keep myself safe now. You know, like I'm not 14. I'm not nine. I'm not, you know, six. Like I'm a full grown human. And... Um, and this can be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean I'm doing the wrong thing. I have this idea that the work that we do on ourselves internally impacts the way that we show up and engage with people. 
the energy that we bring with us changes along the way so that people begin to notice at some point. Inevitably, our internal work, though done privately, becomes visible, is felt by others around us. And maybe they won't be able to pinpoint or describe exactly what's changing, but that they would notice something is different. I have like a close group of people who I felt very, and I think this is important, you know, starting by experimenting with people that you feel really comfortable with. And, you know, not even necessarily saying like, hey, I'm doing a thing and I'm going to start showing up differently, but just showing up differently. Um, so I, I was kind of have been doing that for a little bit of time. And then I would say maybe in August of this past year, I it was like, I almost couldn't help myself. And for me, it's like, I just no longer holding myself so close and no longer, you know, like keeping myself so small. It's like, I just have this energy that started having a life of its own. Um, in a way also that's like very scary and very uncomfortable, but I think I started showing up differently or I know I started showing up differently. I primarily, I love being on Instagram and all of a sudden I started getting these DMs from my friends on Instagram, like not my real life friends, but my online kind of professional friends being like, I don't know what's going on over there, but I like it. Like something is happening. I can't even really put words to it. And I was in the middle of a launch for my, I have a like nine month program. I was in the middle of the launch for that. And yeah, it was just like a very different sense of myself and um, was sharing in a, in a just, I guess, a, you know, so, so all, all that to say, it started to leak out everywhere and people did start to notice. And at that moment, it was really important for me again to be so kind to myself because I wanted to say, like, people are noticing and that is a bad thing. You know, first of all, it's like, what does that mean? What do they think about what I was before? Don't need to go down that road. What, you know, what are they like? Now they're going to think I'm like, whatever, like think I'm like, so obnoxious and arrogant. Like I'm like better than that. Don't need to go down that road. Okay. So like all of these like thing, you know, these doors, these very familiar doors started opening pretty loudly. Um, and again, it was this real opportunity to remain by my own side and, um, and to, again, like not have to go like go forward in a way that it feels forced either. Like, Mm. I think there's an ebb and flow to it. Um, the fall is definitely like a very vibrant time for me energetically, generally speaking, like this time of year, not so much. So, you know, that the tendency could be like, wow, I was really like full on on my presence online, like through the fall. And now it's really fallen off, but actually like that's not self-sabotage. If I'm being honest with myself about my own energetic, you know, capacity, that's like how it ebbs and wanes over the course of the year. So I think that's a piece too. It's like really becoming comfortable with yourself and not having it attached to, um, to anything that you're doing. Like, oh, am I not, am I not taking up space anymore because I'm, I'm not like showing up every single day on Instagram when in reality I am taking up space by not forcing myself to show up every single day on Instagram when I don't want to. Right. So 
internalizing that and really um, like being in partnership with yourself. Because I think like, you know, that's that for me is the biggest area to reclaim and taking up space. It's like uh, my first priority is me and everything else falls in. I asked Mara to finish a couple of sentences for us. This experience taught me that, um, you know, it's never truly finished. It's always unfolding before us. And that that doesn't mean that we're a failure or we didn't transform properly. It's like a part of the transformation to keep having those uh, levels unlock for you. And that, you know, it's my job to keep showing up for that. I am. I am really excited to see what this next year of my life brings me. In her book, Playing Big, Tara Moore wrote, Playing big doesn't come from working more, pushing harder, or finding confidence. It comes from listening to the most powerful and secure part of you, not the voice of self-doubt. And I've come to believe that knowing how to work effectively with your own self-doubt is a basic and necessary life skill, an even more basic and necessary life skill than driving or cooking yourself a meal. I can speak from experience that working with our own self-doubt is hard work. It is one of the hardest work that we ever have to do and must do. I hope you found this conversation with Mara Glatzel helpful. You can follow Mara on Instagram and listen to her podcast, Needy, a show about how we can be in real partnership with ourselves as we navigate every area of our life. I love that phrase, partnership, in partnership with ourselves. Anyway, you'll find in the show notes all the links as well as the highlights of this episode. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast for the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two. Tell them about Mara or about this podcast. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously and I would be so grateful. In the next episode, we're going to hear from Shara Haberman, who transformed herself and adopted a plant-based diet, somewhat accidentally. The best way to not miss the episode and all future episodes is to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that using whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you're going to see some options for podcast apps as well. But the usual suspects, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you normally listen to podcasts, you will find second breaks. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Shara Haberman. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.